Hey, hey Jack. Hey, Good, man. Jack, can you hear me? Yep, I got you. Cool. All right, Josh is in. Hey, guys. Happy Victory Sunday. Been a while. Yeah. I forgot what this was like. First in a long time. Yeah, how you guys doing tonight? Good, man. How you doing? Good. Doing good. Doing good. Great. Just great. All right. So it is about 10 after 10, Sunday night after the Redskins' victory. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Hogcast. My name is Tom Natale. You can find me on Twitter at Tom underscore Natale. I'm joined by my co-hosts. We got Jack on one end and Josh at the other. You guys can go ahead and give yourselves a shout. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jack P. Brizendine, capital J, capital P, capital B. And you can find me on Twitter at Coach underscore Web LF. There we go. So, um, I believe the Redskins were going into today about a seven-point underdog. And ended up victorious, 16-13. to 13. And I really don't feel the score does it justice um, in which the Redskins, I felt, were pretty much the better team th- other than that terrible special teams blunder. But um, this came as a surprise to me. It absolutely did. And I thought uh, you know, we wouldn't be able to do anything offensively. And we were able to, uh, you know, Hold on to the football, not many no turnovers, and it worked out. What did you guys think? Uh, I thought exactly what you said. I really thought that the team played well. I thought other than Tressway, the special teams was awful in that play. Mm-hmm. There was just horrific tackling on that mm-hmm. play where or lack of tackling on the touchdown play right before the half. But I think the defense really came to play today, which was nice considering all the drama that had been surrounding them over the last couple of weeks considering off-field stuff. But I was pretty happy with that. And then as the second half sort of progressed, I was really excited based on the way Josh Johnson played because you just don't expect that out of a guy you brought in two weeks ago Mm -hmm. to be your backup. Sure. Yeah, um, the defense was definitely what stood out again today. I feel like that's something we've come accustomed to saying. Um, And it was really good to see, especially after last week when it kind of looked like they'd given up. Mm-hmm. You know, with the way mm-hmm. Sanchez started and they, it's just everything snowballed last week. Yeah, it seemed like they had given up, but today they were fantastic. Jonathan Allen kind of had a coming out party. Yeah, he and was, he was all dominant. over the place. And yep. um, you know, offensively, they're you know, they did what they had to do to win. And the good part about the rest of the schedule is you're pretty much playing games exactly like today. Mm-hmm. You know, and as long as you do what you did offensively today, I mean, I think you should run, definitely try to establish the run game a little bit better. Sure. But you're going to have to pound it out and play good defense next week against Tennessee. And then, yeah. you know, we don't know what the Eagles situation is with Foles or Wentz or what's going on. So they have a chance to finish 9-7. and seven. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, this is typical. Uh, you know, one of my, my good friends who does the other podcast with me at PMIC, put me in coach. Uh, he he has a theory called the glimmer. He says every single time the Redskins or just DC sports are in general, they're down. They give you just a little bit of glimmer of hope just to make it, just to really, you know, stick it in you. And, you know, this was, the wheels have, had completely fallen off up until a few hours ago. So, you know, this was a team that, man, is Jay Gruden even going to make it out of the season? Is Greg Minuski fired? Where, you know, uh, Bruce Allen and, 
and Ernie Grunfeld, the GM of the Wizards, are doing that, you know, the Spider-Man gif, who's worse at their job. <laughs> uh, you know, this is uh, quite a, uh, almost a, without sounding hyperbolic, but almost a season-saving, job-saving kind of win. Yeah, I, I really went into this game thinking, you know what, if they can pull out a win, maybe go for the playoff push, but if they can't, then I would have, I wouldn't root for them to tank, but I would definitely wouldn't be upset if they did tank. Yep. But I really do think, especially with the loss that the Dallas Cowboys had today and mm-hmm. the shocking upset that the 49ers were able to brew over the Seahawks, the, I mean, the NFC wild card race is wide open. And to be honest, looking bigger picture, with the Cowboys' loss today, the division is somewhat open considering, you know, Philadelphia, they're playing the Rams right now. And yeah, they just close, scored. But they, uh, it seems that the division <laughs> is still winnable, shockingly, this yeah. far into the into the season with and all the controversy that's faced the Redskins they're still in the race and I could definitely see them winning it because I don't see Philadelphia necessarily winning out and Dallas I I don't see winning out but I could definitely it it definitely is a possibility Mm -hmm. and right when you think we're out we're back in yep it's unfair it really, really is. But, you know, I got to give, I'd say really where the credit starts is Josh, as you mentioned, was the defense. And uh, Jonathan Allen was absolutely dominant, as was Ryan Kerrigan. I feel like Kerrigan has one or two games per season yeah. where he just shows you why he's one of the top paid pass rushers in the league. And I felt like today was that game. Uh, not just, I believe he had two sacks, uh, but he's also active in the run game. He was just a, an absolute monster today from what I saw. Yeah, two sacks, six tackles, five solo. Yeah, the he defense, was quite impressed. Defense just played well all together. They finished the day with six sacks, and mm-hmm. they were getting constant pressure. And like I mm-hmm. said, these young quarterbacks, when they get pressure in their face, they just make mistakes. And it just seems mm-hmm. like the the quarterbacks we were playing at the beginning of the season, the Matt Ryans and the Ken Newtons, they weren't having it because they've played a lot of years in the NFL, so they're kind of used to it. But, you know, Cody Kessler, who's struggled – in other places, he definitely was a victim of the pass rush and constant yeah. pressure. Yeah, and, you know, it's you, you look at Jacksonville's quarterback situation, the receiving situation, that's something that the Redskins on paper should absolutely dominate. Um, where their, their strength is Leonard Fournette. He was held to 11 carries for 46 yards. And I know that sounds like a, 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 an okay day, but uh, 25 of those 46 yards came on one broken running play. So, you know, Fournette was essentially held in check for the majority of the game, which is, you know, he's the bread and butter. So that was just, uh, you know, credit goes to that front seven. And, uh, you know, someone, it's one thing if you see Jonathan Allen dominate, which we, we've seen before, what we've seen with Ryan Kerrigan, Deron Payne, I felt had another good game. Um, but, you know, Sean Dion Hamilton now, this was his second career start. And uh, he has improved tremendously in just a very short, short amount of time. If you guys have noticed that too. Yeah, he really has. And to be honest, it's not a good look for Zach Brown because like mm-hmm. he even knew it last week. He was saying that the writing was on the wall. So if Sean Deion Hamilton does play pretty well, then you know you might have to look at possibly Mason Foster, Zach Brown at least getting demoted because mm-hmm. I mean they they played all right, but I really think that you know the reserves do have a they they have a right to want to go out and show what they have because they haven't the two starters haven't been lighting it up. I mean, there's definitely room for improvement. So I think you do give the young guys a shot, especially if you get blown out of the water next week. Definitely, definitely just bench a couple of the starting guys just to see what you've got out of your younger 
depth players. Yeah, I think this is going to be a big week for Mason Foster because, like you said, he's is kind of on that borderline of he, – he went from being an NFL starter to sort of mm-hmm. a borderline NFL player at this point. Yep. I mean, mm-hmm. he's been really bad this year. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it has been because of the lack of athleticism, the lack of pass coverage. And I'd say this is the position like, that Minuski and the linebacking, linebackers coach is putting them in. And um, this week against – the Tennessee Titans is actually a very good matchup for him in terms mm-hmm. of his, his playing. So it's going to be thumper versus thumper. Yeah, power. And he's going to be ball. very important in terms of being able to stuff, you know, Derrick Henry. And this is really his last shot to probably start in the NFL. I mean, if he, yeah. if he mm-hmm. doesn't show up big this week and, like mm-hmm. you said, uh, Jack, that, you know, start letting some of the younger guys play, then – this is this could be it for him. So he mm-hmm. needs to prove that you know what I can do a little bit more. I can, because especially after what happened with the whole you know messages on Instagram or whatever it was, he's uh, yeah, he, he he's finding himself out of the league here pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Well, yeah, it's you know I think especially Mason Foster matches up well as you mentioned, Josh, with Tennessee because it's not going to be a very exotic kind of game being played it's more of that smash mouth old school mentality uh, a lot of Derrick Henry action I would I would assume so that's where you know Mason Foster is if he's in between the hashes I'm okay with that yeah I mean he's definitely not a player that you want running sideline to sideline every play he's mm-hmm. he's really smart too you can tell that he wants to be in the right spot I just you can mm-hmm. see that he lacks that athletic ability to get to the certain gaps and he needs to get to on certain plays but I do read, think that, read Dowdy 2.0 my friend yeah yeah I think um I think Minuski needs to probably just start centering the offense a little bit more around because mm-hmm. because I noticed Deion Hamilton and maybe this is just the fact that he's younger he does have a lot more speed and he tackles with a lot more force it seems like because mm-hmm. he and I, I just think it's probably because he's younger so if he can really get a little bit more NFL experience, I think he will develop that trait to, you know, be able to break down certain running or certain offensive schemes and really turn into a good player. So I think he deserves a shot. Yeah. I mean, with um, prior to, I mean, Deion Hamilton has a long injury history uh, while he was at Alabama, but I mean, this was a guy that started and actually led the team in tackles while he was playing next to NFL players, whether that was, um, you know, Ruben Foster there was, uh, you know, someone this past year, I'm blanking, uh, blanking on his name at the moment, but, I mean, he's been playing by first and second round level picks mm-hmm. um, while he was in Tuscaloosa, and arguably he was playing better. So, you know, there's a, definitely a high ceiling, which is, you know, what you want to see with a late round pick, a guy that, you know, could turn into something long term if, you know, he plays his cards right. So, uh, yeah, you know, that's the thing with Hamilton is that the reason why he's had such a big injury history is he's very undersized. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's going to be hard for him to put together a 16-game season inside unless he can find a way to put on some weight. You know, unfortunately, sure. height, height's a done deal. He's as, as tall as he's going to get. His frame is the yeah. way it is. But, yeah. you, you know, he needs to add another 10 or 15 pounds. And, mm-hmm. you know, like watching a guy today like Telvin Smith, you know, he's extremely yeah. undersized, but he's extremely powerful, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and he's, he's thick-thighed. He's got big shoulders. So he's more of an anomaly instead of what people think maybe today's linebackers are supposed to be. Yeah, well, I mean, we can certainly resonate that with, you know, what we saw with London Fletcher here, a guy that really had no business given his size playing in the NFL, but just, 
you know, can't went by on just his ability to be powerful and incredibly intelligent. That was my first London Fletcher plug of the podcast. I like it. Um, I do want to move over to the offensive side of the ball. And again, I know after wins being exaggerating is always a uh, kind of a par for the course, but you know, what a story for Josh Johnson. And, you know, I, I didn't know a lot about him. I remember watching him in Cincinnati during hard knocks years ago with Jake Gruden. And I know he's played for about a third of the teams in the NFL, I believe, but a guy that's never won a start in his, um, 10 year career. What, what an amazing, uh, and especially against a top uh, tier defense like this and able to, he was effective in the run in RPO and he didn't turn the ball over. <clears throat> uh, he got a little, he was fortunate definitely on that third and long to Jameson Crowder, but you know, you want to talk about the story of not, never giving up and, and so on and so forth. He, uh, you know, you've got to be just rooting for a guy like that today. Yeah, at the end of the game, I think the cameras flashed to him and you could just see him break down just joy, mm-hmm. which was so good to see because he had a really good game. And you could tell that his legs are a huge factor in this game because mm-hmm. he was using his legs, but not only was he using them, he was using them pretty effectively. Like every time he was running out and escaping the pocket, he was looking to create, get a first down or get someone open, which is nice because, you know, not a lot of quarterbacks who do have the ability to run and be mobile don't really have that, you know, sort of, I guess, they don't really care to throw it out. They typically stick to either throwing it or running it. And he seemed to be able to make that make that choice pretty well on the run. And it just showed, I guess, maybe the savviness of a veteran who has been to, through a lot of teams in the league. So it is nice to see that. He finished with a 93.9 pass rating on the day, which was pretty shocking considering he was going up against a – Still pretty great Jacksonville defense. Yeah. And I, I just think that there's a lot to be happy about with Josh Johnson. Yeah, I mean, given the circumstances, it was, it was it was pretty effective. But at some point, they're going to have to find a way to either run the ball or mm-hmm. protect him because it mm-hmm. felt like a third of the snaps he took, even in shotgun and in certain situations, like third and long when they would only rush three or four, and he still had like under two or three seconds to throw the ball. Sure. And um, he, he did do a really good job in terms of using his legs, but there was times when he, I think he bailed a little too quick. Mm-hmm. Um, like I know there was one particular play where Doxon ran up the sideline, he rolled right. And when Doxon seen him rolling, he broke back to the sideline. Well, he was like wide open, like 25 yards downfield. And Johnson sort of tucked it and ran. I mean, he got like nine yards. It was a good play. Sure. But- you know, you got to see that you got the guys right in front of him. So yeah. it wasn't so much of the throws he did make. I think he missed. I just think there was potential for more throws. But mm-hmm. what do you expect from a guy who hasn't started in seven hey, years? Exactly. And someone that's been on this team. For you can tell weeks. his his internal clock, you know, quarterback has an internal clock and you could tell his was just all out of whack. Sure. Which, again, is expected given how long it's been since oh, he's really played absolutely. And, and his unfamiliarity with the offense. How did you think? Can you assess? What you saw out of, you know, the play designs, you know, not having Josh do a whole lot. What, how did you feel with what Jay designed for this offense today? Oh, I think you saw a lot of, like, very basic West Coast concepts, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of two-route combinations on a two-by-two. Two, and, you know, you saw a lot of really simple things, which mm-hmm. is understandable because, one, you can't really run the ball, and, two, your offensive line is completely deflated. Yeah, And that's the thing about a West Coast offense is a lot of the very basic – 
passing concepts are designed to replace a run game. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think, you know, Jay kept it simple. Jay, uh, I like the adjustment he made at halftime in terms of moving the pocket for Josh Johnson. Yep. yep. I, you know, I think he realized, okay, look, I've got somebody, you know, and he hasn't had anybody lately. Like, well, I'm sorry. Hasn't had anybody like that in Washington. You know, mm-hmm. Alex Smith is mobile, but he's more of a pocket quarterback. Sure. And Josh Johnson was able to get outside, reset his feet, and make some plays or use his feet to make plays. So, yeah. you know, I think Gruden's adjustments were very good. I think it was obviously a very vanilla game plan. And, yeah. again, a guy you signed two weeks ago that hasn't been playing football, it's understandable. Yeah. yeah. And especially just how emotional this week was. I mean, if you want to go down the list, we talked about what happened with Mason Foster, with what Zach Brown said, our two starting inside linebackers. You know, the uh, it was reported today before today uh, before today's game. I believe it was by Michael Rappaport at NFL Network said that you know current assistant coaches of on the Redskins are calling other teams, are calling other contacts, and saying, "Hey, you know, when I get fired, can you, you know, can you help me out?" So it's just been an absolute debacle, um, or a, as usual for uh, what's transpired in Washington uh, in Ashburn over the past week or so. Um, I mean, this win could not have come at a better time in terms of just, you know, trying to, you know, keep the ship afloat. Yeah, I mean, I just feel like, and I, I don't blame those coaches for just being prepared for the inevitable, it seemed like, heading into this game. But yeah. I, I just, it, it frustrates me because I feel like whenever the team loses, it's always like, oh, this game was called terribly, Jay needs to be fired, you know, mm-hmm. everyone needs to clean clean house completely. But then, like, you see a game like this and Twitter's all the people who are, you know, pushing for the playoffs and saying, oh, we need to keep everyone, you know, put, push for the playoffs next year. They come out of the woodwork. And I just feel like I wish that there would be consistency, I guess, with the mm-hmm. attitude towards the organization. Because it seems like, you know, you can't be one week, let's fire the coaching staff, and the next week mm-hmm. be, oh, my gosh, let's keep them, let's sign them to an extension. Because that's what mm-hmm. it just feels like. Because I've always been – even last week I said I really do feel like I want Jay to be here probably for next year. But I, yeah. I don't – I feel like there would have – had they not won this game, had Dustin missed a field goal and they mm-hmm. lost in overtime, I really do feel like people would have said he called a bad game because I don't think he called the best game. Mm-hmm. But I think sometimes that really sways people's opinions. And I, I don't know. That's just something that really stood out to me today about that. But I do think yeah. this game could help him. Yeah, and, you know, Jay's been under – he's on the hot seat. And whether, you know, you like him or you dislike him, it's you can justify it if you want. Um, At the same time, how can you really properly evaluate him as a coach when he leads the league in a number of players on injured reserve for the second consecutive year? It's it's, uh, an injustice to him at the same time. So, uh, yeah, to me, I mean, was it one of Jay's best – play uh, called games I feel like he made the best of the situation that was given yeah. to him and I mean and of course you had a fourth string quarterback but you also had your what fourth or fifth string backup guard who was mm-hmm. having to try to cover Calais Campbell one of the best uh, you know defensive linemen in all of football and he was okay so uh, you know I felt they and they've done this before they've just I really feel credit to the coaching staff of the players that they were able to rally around each other because this was, a, you know, another team that's similarly, I mean, you could say the Jaguars are much worse than us because this was a, you know, a fringe Super Bowl contending team. I know they were just, a, what, a play away from going to the Super Bowl last year. So, uh, 
you know, it's nice to see, uh, I guess, a team a little bit worse off, worse off than us. Yeah, they've they've really taken a big step back. Um, you know, their defense was good today, mm-hmm. and I think that's been a big problem. Was last year they were great consistently, mm-hmm. and this year they've been more just good consistently. And then you've had a lot of the locker room drama with them as well. You know, Ramsey kind of can't keep his – like what he said today after the game, you know, I'm only worried about myself. And Oh, he did. I didn't even see that. Uh, yeah, yeah, they asked about Doug Murray's future and, you know, the security wow. of his job. And he said, hey, I don't care. I'm only worried about me. Oh, well, that's a great answer, I'm sure. That help. <laughs> yeah, and, I mean, you know, they've had enough stuff going on, especially with the whole Blake Bortles situation. Sure. Um, you know, which a little tidbit on that. I, I wouldn't be surprised if you see Joe Flacco in a – Jaguar jersey. Yeah, yeah, that would make sense. Absolutely. Yeah, I suggested earlier this week. Anyone wanna wanna sort of play with signing trading for Joe Flacco or signing him next year? Just just curious. I tweeted. Yeah, I, I'm 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 good. Yeah. <laughs> no no offense to Joe Flacco. I, I'm just I'm I'm good. I'd rather get the same level of production from Colt McCoy for a fraction of the price. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, usually us Delaware guys got to stick together, but I'll pass. <laughs> uh, I understand. Uh, meanwhile, the uh, Eagles are about to take a 10-point lead towards the end of the third quarter. So uh, of they thanks are. a lot, Rams. I know. Way, the to, hell? way to crap the pit on this one. I mean, I just yeah. – I, I don't know. I still don't think they're going to beat Texans next week. So I don't That's think right. the Eagles are a team – they're definitely a team you have to worry about for the wild card race, but mm-hmm. – if I could see them losing their last two games if sure. Josh Johnson catches fire next week. Yeah. You know, I, I guess looking at this as a whole, and, and Josh, I think you and I are a little bit closer in age. Um, Jack and I talked last week about previous meltdowns in Washington. And, you know, from a recent standpoint, I, I of course, uh, very much remember the uh, debacle of 10 years ago with Jim Zorn. And, you know, the swinging gate play and he was fired on the plane and then Mike Shanahan's brought in whatever. And then there was the meltdown five years ago with the end of the Shanahan regime, which essentially you could say cost him a Hall of Fame. uh, Cost him a gold jacket, if you will. Uh, Compare where does this level of dysfunction that we've seen over the past month compare with what, you know, we've seen from those examples that has brought up? Well, it definitely falls in line because mm-hmm. I think what you're going to see is Dan Snyder and Bruce Allen will use Jay Gruden as the scapegoat like yep. he did with mm-hmm. Mike Shanahan, like yep. he did with Jim Zorn. Yep. <laughs> and to an effect, he did it with Steve Spurrier. I mean, Steve mm-hmm. Spurrier didn't quite throw – I mean, but he was, you know, 500 in his first two years, but that wasn't yep. good enough. And so – Dan Snyder just uses people as a scapegoat because for some reason him and Bruce Allen seem very tight. And yeah. it seems like no matter what happens, Dan Snyder is going to just fire a new, you know, and try yeah, to build coach. Yeah. He finds uh, different ways to just, you know, deflect. Yeah. Yeah. And in terms of ranking it of some of those, it's, it's pretty close to the top because mm-hmm. I think Jay Gruden is a decent player. But I think mm-hmm. he had to deal with the uh, – his first year was the year the RG3 was supposed to come back, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that got rushed upon him. Yeah. And I've seen, we know what happened to RG3. We don't have to keep reminding ourselves of that. But then uh, he had yeah. the Kirk Cousins debacle. Yeah. And it was a lot yeah. of things that reflected him and made him have to work harder as a coach mm-hmm. when it was problems created by the front office. Yeah. 
And that's going to basically be what they're, you know, they're going to use Jay Gruden as a scapegoat, and it's a real shame. See, and, and I, I would agree with you. It's uh, at the same time, I would, it really seemed like, because we had this conversation 10 years, well, not you and I personally, but we had the same conversation about Snyder's relationship with Vinny Serato 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And eventually he was placed as a scapegoat. And, um, you know, it really just, you know, Redskins Twitter is just an absolute zoo. <laughs> and I really can't think of how to, like, accurately describe it, how utterly crazy it is. But it, it really seems a majority of the vitriol is towards Bruce. Um, you know, Jay Gruden is certainly getting his fair share. But um, it, it really seems like the majority is towards uh, Bruce Allen. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I mean, you see, I mean, people have their freaking Twitter handles fire Jay, I mean, fire up Bruce and stuff like that. I, I really don't think – if you've paid attention to Washington football, you know that them making it seem that Jay Gruden is the cause behind this is absolutely preposterous because I really don't yeah. feel like there's any other head coach who has had to go through the certain diff, – the different variables that he's had to play with because it just seems like – you know, you had a big question mark at the quarterback for the last five years. And it just feels like no other head coach has had to deal with this. And there's talent there. And I think, mm-hmm. to be honest, these records that they finished with seven and nine, you know, eight, actually seven, quite nine, impressive. Yeah, they're a testament to how good of a coach he really is. So I really don't mm-hmm. think that it makes too much sense. But I do mm-hmm. understand how, you know, the national media could mix it up because the records mm-hmm. haven't been that good if you look at them by themselves. But really, sure. if you do look at what he's had to work with, he's a pretty good coach. You know, it's, it's funny that you say that, Jack, because typically if you go from, let's say, nine wins to eight wins to seven wins and we're at seven wins again. And when you have a trajectory like that, you know, t- 31 other NFL franchises just about were like, you know what, that's not good enough. That's typically qualifies a coach being fired. But for the Redskins, who haven't been good in so long and have had one playoff win in, what, 20 years? Uh, two playoff wins in, in 20 years. I mean, this is his level of mediocrity. Mediocrity is actually better than the, you know, S storm that it usually is, you know, the three, four, five, six win seasons. So it's uh, you know, more of a uh, mediocre is better than, you know, piss poor. Like we've yep. seen with what happened with Shanahan and Spurrier and, you know, Zorn, the list goes on. Lower standards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I would say really the big, difference is really the fans Mm -hmm. and what I mean by that is even in those dark days of Jim Zorn dark days of uh, you know Mike Shanahan and other things FedEx Field was still selling out there is still such a large Redskins presence um, at the field and then even on um, you know on television the ratings are down substantially where you know last week's Eagles Cowboys game drew a much higher rating locally than the uh, Redskins game, which has never, ever happened. I really think you're seeing a fan base that has just had it. And I don't blame them. I really don't. I am going to watch every game for the rest of my life because I am a masochist. And, but I, I, I don't blame for other people tuning out. Well, yeah. another thing that hurts your product too is that the team that got put – you know, 20 miles away across the beltway has had constant success. 
Absolutely. I mean, the Ravens have had what maybe two or three bad seasons since they put yeah. it, came into existence. They're, they Which, have a model of consistency. Josh, it it, it no, because like I have a number of friends in Baltimore and go up to Baltimore frequently. It just bugs the living crap out of me. I'm like, when they start complaining, I'm like, no, no, you're not allowed to complain. You've witnessed how many Super Bowls? Nope. And nope. how many? Sorry, could have won Super Bowls. <laughs> yeah. No, you're sad about your eight and eight winning your eight and eight season. You know, go eat a. I want to curse on this. I won't do it. Sorry. <laughs> Proceed. But yes, I feel like the Ravens' success definitely has um, uh, left envy on our side of the Beltway. That is. Yeah, absolutely. I, I you know, you see a lot of people that are Orioles fans that sort of mm-hmm. made the switch and said, "Well, like all Baltimore." And then you, you know, a lot of people in Northern Maryland that I know made the switch mm-hmm. just because they were closer and sure. And it is, it's a winning, it's a consistent winning product, you know, mm-hmm. and. And like we said, they've won two Super Bowls and mm-hmm. they've had teams, at least like four or five other teams that were serious, legitimate contenders. They absolutely were. And yeah. no reason they're slowing down. You know, they yeah. won't fire Jim Harbaugh, a guy who won losing season. And we're yeah. over here like, well, we're just our coach has one winning season. <laughs> we're just trying to win a game. <laughs> and, you know, and, and that's exactly goes to what Jack was saying about standards. It's, it's, <coughs> you know, Baltimore puts out a good product and they expect to, and we just sort yeah. of expect a mediocre product and that's what we get. Yeah. And in, in addition to that, with the Ravens success also here locally, you know, uh, this was, this has always been a Redskins town. This, this team has dominated the market, dominated local radio and, you know, columnists and, um, you know, so on and so forth. Not anymore. The Washington Capitals won the Stanley Cup this past spring. And what you saw was just a, and we've seen the Washington, the Nationals, I'm a big baseball fan too, and we've seen what the uh, Nats have done with their recent success, with the exception of this year. Uh, you know, there's, there's better products out. And that's where people in the, the DMV are going to spend their money and watch something that's enjoyable. Yeah, they're, I think they've hit a point where they're done patronizing the pitiful mm-hmm. product that the Redskins provide yeah. every single year. It's just like, you know, they've. I feel like people have gotten so used to, like you said, just mediocrity that when you do have a season that ends in 9-7, you're happy, whereas that shouldn't be how it is. You should really hold your team to higher standard where yeah. I, I think if if they could just get to like an 11-5 and five season, that would be amazing. And that's not how it should be. That should be that's a pretty good season. If it was 15 and one, that would be an amazing season, but 11 and five should be a pretty good season. And I just feel like guys, if we go 11 and five one year, I'm going to go streaking down constitution Avenue. Exactly. And that's not how it should be. We should should have higher standards, but they've set us up for this complete, we expect to fail. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's why when you do have an okay record, like probably like nine, seven, we feel like that's a great record and that's not how it should be. So I really feel like the fan base needs to just sort of – they need to hold the team to a higher standard and just say – not be ungrateful, but just say, you know, we could still improve after nine and seven. Because I, I just felt like that playoff year, there are a lot of people who are like, this is great. We're going to – you know, we're going to have a really good team. Yeah. This team is probably going to go to the Super Bowl. I'm like, whoa, hold on. Because yeah. I just feel like there's so many things that need to be improved. And I, I don't know. I just feel like we're not at that point. Yeah, it's – it's an interesting point too. I see what you're saying. Um, I I would say the difference between what we've, why we're seeing such a level of apathy amongst Redskins fans now, is I feel that they're just not, we're not being manipulated to the level that we used to be by Snyder and 
you know, whoever else is in charge there. It's everyone's like, you know what, we'll, we'll see it when we, we'll believe it when we see it finally. Yeah. Well, it also seems like Snyder has stopped trying to do that as much too. Mm-hmm. You know, it used to be when he first bought the team, he was buying big name free agents and hiring, you know, like, like I mentioned earlier, went and got Steve Spurrier away from, you know, Florida. And he was mm-hmm. kind of like this, you know, this guy's willing to do it. And now it's almost like he's just stopped even like trying. He's just like, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, I got him where I want him. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just, yeah. I'll just play it cool. Whatever happens, I, happens. I mean, Snyder's got to be just, I know pissed would be an understatement, but I mean, he's got to be humiliated. What has happened this season? I, I really think at this point he just he, he just wants to win, and I think I, I think he needs to realize that you probably won't win with Bruce. I really I would I am on my well. What he needs to realize is we can't win with him. Yeah, but I don't think he's gonna. I really don't think he's he's too prideful to realize that. I mean, I know because he didn't come. He's not just like a billionaire who bought the team. He's a fan or someone who wants to see the team win. He's expressed that he wants to see the team win. And I really do feel like he might know that in the back of his mind, but he's not going to go to that point because he's just too prideful. But I, I do think he knows also that Bruce is probably holding this team back a little bit. So I, I really do hope that Oakland does end up hiring him. And I think Dan does too, so that way it doesn't look like he's I, – I, I don't know. He's got some weird obsession with Bruce Allen that I don't think anyone can really explain. But they, they've worked hand-in-hand hand together for the last mm-hmm. couple of – season so I do feel like there's a level of I guess loyalty there that he doesn't want to let go of him but I think I think at some point Dan's going to realize that Bruce is also a problem so I think he does want him to leave but I just don't think he knows how to get rid of him sure yeah I I guess a a question Josh if maybe you can answer this for me is to me I guess that's what's so frustrating is regardless of who the head coach is Regardless of the quarterback, the players, the staff, it's a very similar, dysfunctional, disappointing result. And of course, the common denominator being Dan Snyder, where you could say there is just a culture in this facility, in this organization that just doesn't prioritize winning, which should be the most important thing, the only thing. So it's, Josh, I guess a question for you as a coach, how can a culture be changed or, or, or how could it be, you know, the opposite of that? How can it be almost a, you know, a cancer, if you will? Well, what it's going to take is for somebody to come in who is good in all three facets in terms of coaching, player management, and player development. Mm-hmm. And he has to have complete control. Uh, you know, and I think like you've seen it sort of with with Jerry Jones when he had strong coaches. You know, like when he had uh, did he have Jimmy Johnson? I can't yes. remember if he was. Yeah, so he had like guys like Jimmy Johnson who wouldn't put up with him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like said, look, you hired me to do this. Give me complete control, and mm-hmm. that's what it's going to take. But I just don't know if Dan Snyder can do that. Mm-hmm. You know, you saw it with Shanahan. He said Shanahan. He also did he make Shanahan the head of football operations. You know, he basically gave Shanahan the whole kingdom, but then was still playing with the dolls up top, you know, making yeah. them draft RB3, yeah. making them do this, making them do that. Yeah. And until he's willing to just give up the keys and say, here, it's all yours. You just, make all the decisions. You get the players you want. You do what yeah. you think you have to do. Yeah. Then it's not going to. 
I think obviously he doesn't know what he's doing. He's hiring people to run player management and player development that don't know what they're doing. Yeah. And And how good the coach is. He's got no chance. You know, and you remember like when Shanahan was brought in, we're like, finally, an adult is in the building. Thank God. Yeah. And we got the same result. And then you had the same thing with Scott McLuhan. Oh, there's someone that knows what he's doing regarding football, an actual football man making football decisions. Thank the Lord. And then it happened again for different reasons. But it's just to me, I, it's, I feel like Snyder has just set a, just an aura amongst this organization that just, just breeds, just making money and, you know, putting everything else aside. And there's just no cohesion between the top and the bottom of this franchise. And that's why I'll never think, we're going to be in good shape as long as he's still here because Snyder has shown zero ability to improve, make adjustments or anything. It's, you know, uh, quite a similar result. Yeah. Because realistically, if that job becomes open at the end of this season, who wants it? Who exactly. And I mean, and you're looking at some other potential vacancies like um, <clears throat> Cleveland where Baker Mayfield looks to be, he's going to be a, uh, you know, he's going to be a good quarterback. I mean, he already is. Um, and then look what Green Bay. I mean, those are two. Where we're in, a, we are in a world where the Cleveland Browns job looks more attractive than ours. Mm-hmm. Very much so. That is not good. Not good. I mean, I, I, I agree with you. I don't know why anyone would pick to go here because it just seems like I would. You know, if you go here, you're on a short leash. You screw mm-hmm. up a couple. You you've got definitely a lot less strikes than you would have in another mm-hmm. area. I mean, Cleveland. They gave Hugh Jackson 38 games and he went – or 40 games and he went 3, 36, and 1, and then they finally got rid of him. So I just feel like you're going to be muzzled here also. You're not going to probably be able to make your own decisions, and you're just going to – you are you can make suggestions, but I don't think always when, you know, Jay Gruden makes suggestions, they're always mm-hmm. what the team goes with. Because it just seems like they bring people in, I feel like, for face – for just the – I guess assurance of that because it's very similar to what happened with the clue. Cause I felt like the only reason they brought him in was to say, Oh, when we made this move, Oh, we have McClune. He probably did it. That makes it right. That makes mm-hmm. fans buy into it. So I really do think that when they do bring people in, they're just a face to cover up the transactions and the moves that go on to make fans sure. feel better about it. And just, to, I guess the same thing way, about Doug Williams, their way to improve PR, I guess. Sure. Yeah, well, I'm really glad that you brought up Cleveland, Tom, because that's a perfect example of what I was just talking about, about giving somebody full control. Mm-hmm. You know, for years, the reasons why the big reason why the Cleveland Browns have been a joke is because their owner was far too hands-on, and, yep. you know, there was a lot of dysfunction. He hired John Dorsey, a guy who was a no-nonsense guy, yep. and he said, okay, I'm getting rid of the coach, I'm getting rid of the offensive coordinator, I'm going to sign the free agents I want. I'm going to make the big trades for guys like Jarvis Landry. You know, I'm putting something together I believe in, and if you don't believe in it, you got to go. And I think that's exactly – and, you know, like I said, a head coach is an example, but, you know, somebody like a John Dorsey, a GM or a a president, they can come in and do what Bruce Allen should be doing. Mm -hmm. It changes the culture. I mean, you see it with Cleveland. I mean, they're, they're a decent football team, and I think they're going to be very good. They have a lot of good young pieces. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, and that's that kind of ties in perfectly to what I was saying about having somebody who is running something his way 
without you know people manipulating them and that's how you create a culture that people want to be at yeah and that's why to me if i had to pick who would who would i rather have off this this team bruce or jay it is unequivocally bruce um just because i want someone that can go into this office and really set a standard, which I felt that McLuhan did for that one season. Mm-hmm. His players, yeah, was, the players yeah. really seemed to uh, revere him. He was, I mean, you know, bear hugging his own, you know, the guys that he drafted are, are, you know, had, he had, had his back. And it was, that was the, you know, almost the tipping point where finally we have a guy that is just, you know, establishing a winning football, a team first mentality, which we've never had. And, you know, it's, when I when I think about Jay, you know, I hate to say, you know, this might sound like a disservice to Jay, but who who's going to do better than him? You know, mm-hmm. Josh Josh McDaniels isn't going to come here. No bright offensive mind in their mind would want to come here. It's just going to set them up for failure. And to me, I would want to. I would always want if I wanted to, if I was an owner, I would. I would hire my GM before my head coach because I want the GM to make the decision on who should be coaching this team. Yeah, I feel like, and I, I refer to the Jay Gruden argument as the very similar to the Morgan Moses argument of he's not the best, but who are you going to replace him with who's out there right now who's going to do a better job? Mm-hmm. Because he's probably the best of what you have, best option that you have now. You could improve, but he's what you've got right now, and he's probably the best option. So I just. I feel like that's what's keeping him around. I definitely feel like if you did have a Josh McDaniels or, you know, a, I don't know, I believe the, uh, the, I, I can't remember his name, but one of these, the Eagles, or no, I'm sorry, I'm blanking on his name, but one of the coordinators that's floating around, if they want to come in for an interview, I, I really do feel like the Redskins might just cut ties with Jay because there are better options out right now, but not right now, but probably after the season is over, there mm-hmm. will be better options. So I think they might be a little bit more apt to getting rid of him then if sure. they feel the need to. Yeah, it's, you know, there's a few, and, you know, a bright offensive mind is now currently at a job. Uh, Filippo from, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Minnesota's offensive coordinator was just fired. And that guy was a, you know, was going to be receiving a lot of, uh, you know, head coaching interviews from what was reported at least. So, I just I, I feel that you know, that really isn't the problem. Is are there better coaches out there? Absolutely, but you know, given the level of instability in this franchise, it doesn't matter who's going to be it. It's still it's not going to work out, and it's not just me being pessimistic. It's a sample size of twenty five years that prove mm-hmm. that point. Yeah, I feel like you've seen it. I feel I, I completely agree with you. I feel like you've seen people come here who've showed promise and they just haven't made it work. And there's been one constant variable and it's been the upper people of the organization. So it makes you, you narrow it down. It's like if everything's changed except for them and you get the same product, it's probably going to be, they're probably going to be the reason why this is happening. Sure. Yeah. And I think if Dan Snyder does decide to get rid of Jay Gruden, He's going to do the typical Dan Snyder, and I think he needs mm-hmm. to really try. And that's to hit, try to hit a home run. Try yeah. to get somebody like a like a Lincoln Riley or a, sure. a David Shaw. You know, go out of the box and try to throw money at somebody that. Oh, he's going to get Bill Cowher a blank check, Josh. That would be great. 
Oh, Bill Cowher scares me. Look at the whole John Gruden thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Something we already tried that once by bringing an old coach back when we yeah. hired Gibbs about 10 years after he'd been coaching and that didn't go well either. Nope. But yeah, I think he's he's got to he's got to go for a home run and he's got to he's got to hit it. I mean, you got a very good young defensive team. You got some decent pieces on offense. You know, now's the time. You got to find somebody who's going to come in and just rejuvenate it. You know, and not go through another three-year head coach and then find somebody else. You, you've got to hit a home run here. Yeah, and it's frustrating because you see guys like Sean McVay and you know, um, like Kyle Shanahan go through the organization. And you're just like, you've come so close to getting one of these really good, really good young guys who could probably start the foundation for a somewhat consistent franchise. So it, it, you can tell that there's some potential at the bottom, but we just got to hit on one of these guys. Yeah, it, we'll see. I mean, is there is our uh, current offensive coordinator uh, Kevin? Is it Kevin O'Connell? Is that? I mean, this guy was uh, seems to be well respected amongst the league, amongst football minds. Is that someone that could be, you know, considered like almost a Sean McVay type? I don't know. They don't come around too often. Somebody like McVeigh. <laughs> yeah. he's, uh, good... he's something else. Yeah. The type of energy that guy brings is ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely. And his uh, incredible memory. Just, yeah. Uh, I have such a crush on him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we got a heck of a game next week then. Saturday night, national television. Or 4.30, sorry. Hey, it's yeah. gonna, I think, you know what? It's going to be a lot more fun than this week. Mm-hmm. I think because, you know, you're seeing two teams that have to run the ball, whereas this week, you know, you saw two teams that have no other options. So I feel like they'll go into this game ready to roll. Um, yeah. I think they'll establish the run game early. And I think mm-hmm. that, you know, Tennessee's going to try to do the same. So they just have to step up and, and you're going to have to play physical football. I think it'll be fun to watch. Yeah, and I know it's a small market for the with the Titans, but, I mean, this is a team that has beat – um, absolutely destroyed the NFC East. I mean, they yeah. shut out the Giants today. They beat the Cowboys. They beat the Eagles. I mean, this is a team that you would expect to beat us. And I would certainly feel that they're going to be favored going into Saturday's game. Oh, as they should be. They're hot. Mm-hmm. I mean, Derek yeah. is as hot as a running back can be. Yeah, I'm I'm a little bit nervous about that because I really feel like if Derek Henry gets going, there's the game is going to just completely get out of hand because it – I don't know why, but right now Derrick Henry scares me a lot more than Leonard Fora ever did coming into the day. Yeah, just because just, of – also the team – sort of the team trajectory as a whole is pretty much going up for the Titans. I expect them to probably – I believe that they're contending for a wild card spot, and I think mm-hmm. they probably will get one. Mm-hmm. So they do scare me. And it's also the fact that, like I just said, they are contending for a wild card spot. They have something to play for, so they will be coming hard. And if they start to, you know, really come out and – blast the Redskins in the beginning parts of the game, uh, I see it as a pretty big game that the Redskins could let slip away. Sure. Uh, I understand that. It's, um, <clears throat> it, of course, we had to win today's game. Like, yeah. of, of course, of course, we had to do it. And, you know, I, I would say, you know, this is quite a test for Josh Johnson, again, having to go up against another fantastic defense in Tennessee. And I feel like that's really been the driving force to the Titans' potential playoff run is what they're doing on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, they 
I mean, they've kind of adopted what their headskins did at the beginning of the year. They just had a really good run game and then win the turnover battle on defense mm-hmm. because you've seen it. They've they've had Derrick Henry absolutely explode the last two weeks, and they've been able to control time possession, which is a key factor in winning. And they've also played really good defense, so their opponents haven't really had time to possess the ball, and the clock has been drained on offense, which leaves their defense just absolutely gassed for the opposing team. Sure. You know, and I, I would say on um, for the Redskins, on what they have to do on, on defense would be the games that they've won when they're not as effective offensively running the ball is being able to turn it over, similar mm-hmm. to what they did in Tampa, what they did today, those two uh, really crucial turnovers, uh, even though one of them didn't result in anything. But, um, you know, if we're able to, you know, pick off Marcus Mariota, force a fumble, something like that, um, that could very well be the, uh, you know, recipe for us to stay in this game. Yeah, you're going to have to try to beat them at their own game. And you're mm-hmm. going to have to be physical. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have to play stout defense. You know, It's sort of you know an old term, just set the line of scrimmage. You have yeah. to be the team that sets the line of scrimmage, no matter whether it's four yards back or pass protection. Sure. So, you know, Mike Vrabel, a great young head coach, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like a defensive guru, sort of like the McVay version of defense. Yeah. yeah. And he's got a – pretty good roster playing much better than I think they are. Mm-hmm. So, you know, make Mariota beat you. you. You have to make Mariota beat you. And I don't, you know, he's not really a uh, big play. You know, he's no. Dak Prescott. It's really kind of who he is. So, sure. as you could take away that run game and, you know, Corey Davis will be a tough cover, but just just play physical and you can beat him. You know, it's it, what I felt was really fr- – oh, crap, I just X'd out of it. Um what was really frustrating about today's game was uh, Cody Kessler's ability to escape the pocket and oh my gosh. first downs. And like the whole time, I was, one of my friends who we were watching the game was just, why don't we have a spy on Cody? Why, why aren't we just making sure someone's locked onto him to make sure that he can't get away with escaping? And, you know, Mariota's a, a much, much better athlete. Um, in terms of his mobility um, and compared to Kessler. So, you know, who on the Redskins will be able to, you know, put a spy on him, essentially? I would well, think probably Deion Hamilton. Yeah, I think Deion Hamilton would be a good bet. He's an yeah. athlete. Yeah, or, or if Zach Brown plays, or, or you know, we, where we're seeing, you know, Josh Harvey Clemens has been playing on third down essentially all season. Um, you know, that uh, converted – He's that safety linebacker hybrid. He's a safety in college and playing linebacker now or dime linebacker. So, you know, I just, if we can keep, uh, you know, it's one thing if Derrick Henry and that running potent running attack beats us, but, you know, if Marcus Mariota is making plays with his feet or, you know, one of his receivers is doing something, Corey Davis, something like that, that's when we're in trouble. And if we're able to, uh, really keep Mariota in the pocket where he where he's his least comfortable. Uh, that gives us the best opportunity to win. Yeah, most definitely. Because like Josh said, I really don't think I think if you put the ball in Mariota's hands and make him beat you, he's gonna. The Titans are just gonna struggle a lot more than if they do get the running game going and if their defense starts playing out of their mind like they pretty much have for the last couple games of recent. Sure. Yeah. I mean. They shut out the Giants who put up 40 on us. Yeah. So. Oh, boy. And so, um, with all of that said, what do you, as far as predictions are concerned, what are you, what are you guys thinking? 
Hmm. I um, think I'm gonna go sixteen seven Tennessee. I'm gonna say probably ten nineteen Washington. Nineteen to ten favoring the Redskins. Wow. Can you believe I mean, let's just say that you're correct, Josh, the Jack. And we go on a similar, like, Todd Collins kind of run. You know, Josh Johnson, I mean, <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, talk about improbability here. Um, unfortunately, Josh, uh, I'm, I'm with you. I think this is going to be a low-scoring, kind of boring uh, game, which if uh, if I would suggest betting on the under, if anyone would like to do that. And uh, I'm going to go – let's go uh, – 17 to 6 in favor of the Titans. Uh, let's not remember, let's please remember that uh, this is going to be on national television where, uh, yeah, we don't do so good. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. The, they play pretty well on Saturdays, I, I feel like. I feel like that's the yeah. one thing that's in their favor. Yeah, but. Yeah. But I think I think you're right. I think the national television part pretty much overrules that and they're just gonna <laughs> To be fair, that's number was skewed by Kirk Cousins, who's still like 0 and eight on primetime. I'm gonna yeah. throw that out there. Because he got embarrassed last week as well. He did. He did. Um God, we've never been good on Monday Night Football. Like our <laughs> the record is just it was such a statistical anomaly, it's crazy. Um all right. Well, we're almost just short of an hour. Um, want to plug uh, DMV season now. Um, you, DMV season is a uh, local website that will do everything from co- podcasts, blogs. Uh, the, you can follow them on Twitter at DMV underscore SN. They cover Redskins, Caps, Nets, Wizards, uh, local colleges like Terps, Hoyas, Fantasy Football, you name it. They got it covered. Uh, feel free to check them out again t- on Twitter, DMV underscore SN. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening tonight. Jack, Josh, thanks for coming on. Probably My name is Tom Natale. And you can find me on Twitter, Tom underscore Natale. You guys go ahead. I'm Jack Brizendine, and you can find me on Twitter at Jack P. Brizendine, capital J, capital P, capital B. And I'm Josh Webb. You can find me on Twitter at Coach underscore Webb LF. All right. Well, guys, thanks so much. You all have a good rest of the night. All right, night. you too, buddy. All right, see you next week. All right, later. I'll see you.